The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. The sentence mark number 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has been kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on Sabbath day from what bound her? And then he said this, when he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Turn it over to you, Sam. Well, my name is Sam, and I can be very annoying. And that's because I'm a man, I'm Chinese, and I'm Australian. So first of all, I'm a man. According to the New York Times... Men are annoying because of the man spread. This is the number one peeve among commuters in New York. The man spread. It's what makes men so annoying on public transport. But secondly, I'm also Chinese. According to The Wire, Chinese people are the number one most annoying tourists in the world. They don't queue, they're loud, they pick their noses in public... But also, I'm Aussie, and according to the Daily Mail, the Australian accent is the most annoying accent in the world. It will hinder your prospects for promotion or for pay rise. But there's another reason why you might find me annoying, and that's because you might describe me as religious. According to McCrindle Research, uh, the top reasons for why people find the Christian church so annoying is that they're hypocrites, they judge each other, and they have this smug authoritarian attitude. One person said, if I was to go back to church, I want them to put a message out there that they're not going to bash me on the head for not having come in the last 10 years. And we all laugh because we agree, religious people can be annoying. They can be jerks. So welcome to the forum. We're doing a four-part series called If God is So Loving... Why? And we're looking at these four questions. If God is so loving, why? Number one, why do bad things happen to good people? Two, why are religious people jerks? Three, why doesn't God make himself more obvious? And four, why is there only one way to God? And in this series, each week, we'll look at one of these questions, one by one, and see what the Bible, in particular Luke 13, has to say about our questions. And today is week two, question two, 
Why can religious people be such jerks? And we've just heard a story from the Bible, Luke 13, where the religious people were jerks. Jesus is in the middle of organised, institutionalised religion, a synagogue, a local place of worship, and there he meets a woman who's been crippled for 18 years. The woman comes to Jesus, she begs Jesus to heal her, and Jesus heals her and sets her free. And at this stage we should say, yippee, yay, she's free, she's healthy, she's restored, but... The local religious leaders are angry at Jesus. How dare Jesus heal this woman, they say, on an official religious day of rest. Well, what's going on here? Why can these religious people be such jerks? They're judgmental, they're intolerant, and they're so narrow-minded. And so our question to Jesus is this. If God is so loving, why can religious people be such jerks? I mean, if God is real... If God is loving, then those who follow Jesus should be just as loving. Instead, they seem to be jerks. So why can religious people become such jerks? And that's what we're going to look at today. And in your outline, you see there are three parts to this talk. In the first part, we're going to say guilty. Yes, religious people can be jerks. In the middle part, we'll see, well, why? Why is this possible? Why does this happen? And in the final part, we'll look at, well, how might we not become jerks? So let's come to the first part of the talk now, where we're going to say guilty. Yes, guilty religious people can be jerks. And they are jerks in two ways, at least two ways. Maybe you can think of more, but there are at least two ways they can be jerks. Number one, they make up stupid rules. They make up stupid rules. Now, my wife, Steph, and I lived in Chicago, USA for five years. And we often went to the baseball games in Wrigley Field. This is the historic, iconic baseball field, Wrigley Field in Chicago. But then the terrorist attacks happened on September 9-11, and they tightened security everywhere. And they made up a whole lot of new rules for security. So the next time we went to the baseball, as we've always done, my wife had a small backpack, as she had always done. But this time they said to us, bah! There's a new rule, no backpacks are allowed because of the new security rules. And they wouldn't let us in with a backpack. So we went away, just went around the corner, pulled out some plastic bags, and we put the contents of the backpack into the plastic bag, and they let us in. Because technically now, that wasn't a backpack, that was a plastic bag, and that was okay. And that's what makes rules so annoying. People make them up, and they make no sense. And in the story, Jesus heals a woman crippled for 18 years. But the religious leaders are furious at Jesus because Jesus has violated a rule. They say, well, you know, had you done this on the other six days of the week, that would have been okay, Jesus. But today was an official religious day of rest. And so, bah, what you've done is wrong. But that rule makes no sense. And that's what Jesus says. He says, you know... Today, if your donkey was thirsty, it would have been okay to give your donkey water. So why can't I heal a woman who's been crippled for 18 years? And maybe we can think of equally silly rules that religious people make up. Usually they're to do with sex or food or weekends. You see, life will be easier without, without religion, without these rules. And that's a point made by people like Christopher Hitchens, God is not great, how religion poisons everything. Life will be so much easier without religion 
and religious people. Number one, religious people are jerks. They make up silly rules. But number two, they can also be jerks because they are smug, arrogant and condescending. In Monty Python's movie, The Meaning of Life, a woman is giving birth. The woman is in labour, she's about to give birth, and she's all anxious. And she asks the doctors, what should I do? What should I do now? And John Cleese is a specialist doctor, and he just leans over her nonchalantly, and he says, nothing, you're not qualified. And it's so smug, it's so arrogant, it's so condescending. He's the doctor, he's the authority figure, and he sits in judgment over you. And religious people can be equally smug, arrogant, and condescending. They make themselves the authority figure, and they sit in judgment over us. Jesus has just healed a woman who's been crippled for 18 years, the religious leaders should be happy, but no, they're not happy. Instead, they tell Jesus off, they judge him. But then we think, well, what gives them the right to do this? Who made them the gatekeepers? Who made them the fun police? McCrindle research again on why people find church annoying. Well, because people at church, religious people, are judgmental. They make you feel like a naughty schoolboy when you turn up. They beat you over the head for being late, for being underdressed and not having come in the last few weeks. When I go to churches, and because it's being recorded, I don't mean my own church, but when I go to other churches, I just notice the minister there puts on this voice, it's patronising, it's smug, he talks down to me. Where do they learn this voice? Maybe there's a course in Bible college, how to put on this smug, condescending voice. But you just feel patronised often by religious people. So that's the first part of talk. Guilty, yes, religious people can be jerks. They make up silly rules, they're smug, they're condescending, they're patronising. So let's come to the middle part of the talk. Why? How does this happen? Why do religious people become jerks? Agreed, they can be jerks, guilty, but why? Well, I think because of one main reason. Maybe you can think of others, but I can think of one main reason, and it's this. Religious people can make the mistake that religion is a meritocracy. They think religion is a meritocracy. And in a meritocracy, good people go to church, but bad people don't go to church. Good people are saved, but bad people are not saved. When I went to high school, I went to a high school where rugby was compulsory. But all the Asians still found a way to get out of rugby. They usually had a note from their parents or doctor but I love rugby, and I loved playing rugby for my high school. The only problem was I was no good at it. I was too small, too slow, too weak. In final year, in year 12, the school picks the first 15, the number one team in the school. So this is the first 15, the biggest, the fastest, the strongest. In year 12, I did not make the first 15. Instead, I made the fifths. So think about that, first, seconds, thirds, fourths, fifths, the bottom side in a, in a school where rugby was compulsory, everyone's playing it. So I was the smallest, the slowest, the weakest. I was the worst. See, rugby is a meritocracy. The best players play in the first, the worst players play in the bottom side, the fifths. So if you're in the first, you know you are the best. If you're in the fifths, you know you are the worst there is. And that's okay for rugby. Rugby is a meritocracy. 
but is religion a meritocracy? See, most religious people probably make the mistake of thinking, yes, religion is also a meritocracy. You have to be good to get into church. And so if you are in church, well, you must be a good person. And if you don't go to church, well, you must not be a good person. You're a bad person. And so what religion then does is it creates a sense of entitlement where I deserve to be in church. I deserve to be in heaven because I'm a good person. Otherwise, I would not be inside this church. And so two things happen then. Religious people, they can start creating rules to reinforce that's all about being good. Keep these rules and you're a good person. Break these rules and you're a bad person. Because it's all about being good. So it all becomes about keeping the rules. Religious people also start creating barriers to keep the bad people out, like a border security. Religious people become these self-appointed guards, these gatekeepers, to keep the bad people out of church and to keep the good people in church and keep it just the way it is. And that's what makes the religious people in the story so smug, so self-righteous. Because if they use the formula that good people go to church, good people are religious, then they are the good people. And Jesus and the woman, they're the bad people. They use man-made rules and regulations so they can be the good guys. And then they create barriers to keep the bad people out. All right, so that's why religious people can be jerks, because we think religion is a meritocracy. Let's come to the final part of the talk now, how not to be a jerk. How not to be a jerk. And here I can think of two things. Number one, see that we ourselves are broken people. We need to see that we ourselves are broken people. In the Bible story, the woman is not a jerk, but the religious people are jerks. Well, what's the difference? Well, the woman is crippled and broken, and she knows she's broken. But the religious people, they are just as crippled and broken. It's just that they can't see it. When I worked as a junior doctor, I used to work the overnight shift in ED in the emergency department. So I'd work all night without sleeping. And then during the day, I would play rugby for my old university, Sydney University, and then that night, I would go back to work in the overnight shift at the emergency department. But for some reason, during the rugby games during the day, I would get so badly beaten up, I would end up with these big black eyes. So I used to look like this, but worse, because I used to have two black eyes. That's how guys only got one black eye. And so when I went to hospital, I would look like that, and then I would do the doctor thing, go up to a patient in the emergency department... <laughs> And then I would say, well, what's wrong with you? And they would look at me and say, whoa, whoa, no, 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 what's wrong with you? Meaning, hey, buddy, I'm, meaning you're worse than I am right now. I was more beat up and broken than they were. At least they knew they were beat up, but I needed to know I was also beat up. I was a doctor, but I needed a doctor just as much as they did, maybe more than they did. And that's the point of the story. The woman is sick. And she knows she's sick. She's crippled. She's broken. She can't cure herself. She needs a healer. But the religious people, they are just as crippled and broken. But it's in their hearts. Their hearts are crippled with pride and self-righteousness. 
and their lives are just as broken and corrupt. They also need a healer. They just can't see it. See, religious people love pointing their fingers at obvious, explicit R-rated sins, easy target sins in easy target people. But God in the Bible spends much more time and ammunition against religious people's sins. Sins like pride, envy, jealousy, greed. Sins where religious good people might think, you know what, I'm alright and I'm glad I'm not like that other person next to me. These are the real sins that break us, they cripple us without us even knowing them. They make us arrogant, smug, self-righteous and we look down on others. So the first way we can make sure we're not jerks is to know that we are just as crippled and broken. Just like the woman was crippled and broken, we, especially religious good people inside a church, might be even more crippled and broken. And we need a healer. And so this brings us to the second thing that we can do to not be jerks, and that is to put our trust in Jesus. See, where is our pride? Where is our identity? Where is our status? We need to put our trust in Jesus. Now, some of you have heard this story before. This is Dario. Dario is our next-door neighbour. He's also the bass guitarist for Jimmy Barnes, John Stevens, Danny Marks Young, and the Baby Animals. Now, those names mean nothing to you. That's because you're Asian. But if you're an Aussie from the 80s and 90s, these are big names, and the FM stations are still playing these names, the best of the 80s and 90s. So Dario gets Steph, my wife and me, free tickets to the concerts. And so when we go to the concerts, we are the only two Asians in the concert. And so security will come up to us and say, can we help you? And we say, well, we are friends of Dario, and bang, we're in, just like that, free tickets. But that's only because we know Dario. It's not because we're wonderful people. It's not because we know the words to the songs. It's not because we're musical or talented. No, it's simply because we know Dario. We are only in there because we know Dario. And it's the same with Jesus. As a Christian, when we get to know Jesus, there are many benefits. Our sins get forgiven. We get a guaranteed entry into heaven. We get a warm, personal relationship with God as our Father, and we are God's children. But we only get these blessings because we have put our trust in Jesus. Not because we're wonderful, not because we're more godly than the person next to us, not because we've kept the Ten Commandments, but simply because we know this person. We know Jesus, and that's what gets us in. So that doesn't give us the right to strut around and look down on other people, if anything, it should humble us. Because we only get in, not by anything we have done or by who we are, but simply because we know this guy, Jesus. So our question today was, why can religious people be such jerks? In the first part of the talk, we've said, guilty, yes, religious people can be jerks, arrogant, smug, self-righteous. In the middle of the part of the talk, well, why? Well, we make this mistake if we think religion is a meritocracy where good people get in and bad people don't get in. And now we've seen in the final part how not to be a jerk. One, to know we are just as broken, maybe even more broken than the people around us. And two, we need Jesus and we only enjoy our blessings because we know this guy and not because 
of anything wonderful that we have done. So what is the opposite of being a jerk? The opposite of being a jerk is to be thankful. A few weeks ago, David Brooks wrote in his op-ed piece in the New York Times, The Structure of Gratitude, and he said, the problem with today's society is that we have based our society on a meritocracy. And in a meritocracy, we earn what we deserve and we need to look after ourselves. And so, in our meritocracy society, we have become self-serving and we have become, we have felt entitled to all that we have. In other words, we have become jerks because of our meritocracy society. But the opposite, according to David Brooks, is to always be thankful, to know that we are who we are because of someone else. It's not a level playing field, and we are only where we are because someone else gave us a head start. And so the opposite of being a jerk is to be thankful. But, now here's the problem, if we're thankful, who are we being thankful to? Well, maybe it's a parent, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it's a friend, but ultimately, if we believe there's a personal, loving God behind the universe, we also need to be thankful to God, because we are who we are only because of God. He made us. He loved us, and he also saves us. And we only know God by knowing Jesus, not by anything we've done, but simply because we know Jesus. And not only would Jesus connect us with God, but we'll also be thankful, and hopefully that will stop us from becoming religious jerks. The first one uh, is actually a two-parter. Um, wasn't Jesus religious? He seemed to be, he was a Jew that followed all the rules, right? Yep, yep. All right, wasn't Jesus religious? He seemed to be a Jew that also followed all the rules. So to answer this, I think we have to take a step back and say, oh, what is the role of rules, religion, and Jesus? And the Bible's got a very nuanced view of rules. So it's not a simple black and white view to rules, but there's quite a nuanced, multi-level understanding of rules, religion, and Jesus in the Bible. So first of all, rules are there because they maximize fun and minimize harm. So whenever we go to the movies, there are some simple rules we all need to follow in a movie theatre, like do not talk during the movie, turn your mobile phones off, and none of us think, oh, what a silly rule, that's robbing me of fun, the fun police. No, we know if we all follow these rules, the movie actually becomes more enjoyable, so we turn our phones off, we don't talk to the person next to us, we obey the rules. So rules maximise fun, and they minimise harm on one level. On the next level... In the Bible, many rules are actually context-determined. They apply to a certain place, time, and, and stage, but gradually over time when the context changes and the stage changes, a lot of the rules no longer apply. It's a bit like when we used to go on a plane, they say, you know, turn your mobile phones off. And now the context has changed, technology has changed, and they say, you know what, you can leave them on, it's okay. And so a rule that used to apply no longer applies. And Jesus does the same thing in the New Testament. He comes along and says, you know what? All foods are clean. So once upon a time, the Bible had a lot of rules on foods, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat. And Jesus says, you know what? The context has changed. The time has changed. We're in a new stage of life now in the Bible. And all foods are clean. So many rules apply to different contexts, but not other contexts in the Bible. 
Another reason why there are rules in the Bible is they show us how broken we are. They're actually quite self-diagnostic tests. So the rules are there to become a mirror to ourselves. So Jesus comes along and says, you know what, we've heard the rule that we shouldn't kill anyone, we shouldn't murder. And Jesus says, but you know what, it's really about the hearts. If we've ever looked at someone hatefully, we've actually murdered that person in our hearts. And up until then, if Jesus hadn't said that, we would have thought, you know what, I'm an alright person, I've never killed anyone. But once we hear that from Jesus, we think, well, you know what, I'm actually probably not as okay as I thought it was. I'm more broken and corrupt, especially in my heart, than I thought. And so the function of rules there is to show us how broken we are, and they're quite a self-diagnostic test. Another reason then, after having shown us how broken we are, the rules exist to actually point us to Jesus. They're like um, picture language for Jesus to come. So a lot of the rules in the Bible about the temple, and really the temple just picture language for God supposedly lives in the temple, even though it's everywhere, but it's just a nice picture language. Okay, God is living in the temple right now. But then Jesus comes, and the temple is actually picture language for God will actually one day be with us, as if we are the temple. A lot of rules about sacrifices. Sacrifices are just picture language to say, you know, to live, someone had to die for you. Uh, we're removed from that in the urban context when we eat food, bread or steak, we forget that the wheat had to die and the animal had to die for us because it's all sanitised. But uh, we've got to remember, no, someone, you know, either the grain or the animal had to die for me to live. And the sacrifice of the same picture language for us and Jesus. Uh, Jesus has to die so we might live. So that's why those rules exist. And finally, uh, again, Jesus kept a lot of rules. A lot of the rules, again, uh, not only do they maximise fun, minimise harm, harm, but they also glorify God. And they're to be enjoyed in the context of a relationship. So a lot of the rules make no sense when you're not in the relationship. But when you're in the relationship, suddenly they make sense. I'll give you an example. Uh, my wife and I have just recently come back from Japan. We used to go through Japan a lot on our way to somewhere else. And before we had kids, we used to love Japan. And we used to have a rule. Let's hit as many restaurants as we can in one day and just eat really cheap food and then we just go to the next one. And we could go from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant to restaurant. And because Japan's really safe, we would come back to the hotel at four in the morning. But now we had kids and we had three little boys with us this time we hit Japan. We realised, okay, that was a different stage of life. That rule can no longer work. And Japan's very children unfriendly. Uh, so we thought, okay, we've got now a new rule. We can only do one thing with the children per day just for their sake and for our sake. And so when we, so that rule would have made no sense before we had kids. It makes a lot of sense when we do have kids. And a lot of the rules that exist in the Bible only make sense once you come to know Jesus. It's different on the inside. And you're like, oh, I get it. This rule actually glorifies God and it maximizes fun and pleasure and minimizes harm, but only in the context of a relationship. Feel free, free to, you know, if you want uh, any clarification on anything that Sam was mm. sharing, that you just put up your hand and you can ask that, that question. The next question I have is, um, how do we address relig uh, religious attitude or spirit that comes into our church leaders mm. without being rebellious against them? Yes, so how do we address uh, this religious jerk attitude that might exist in leaders, e.g. maybe in your own church, uh, without confronting them or causing too much harm? I think what the Bible does is we just need to constantly keep hearing, hearing the gospel. So the good news, the gospel message in the Bible is the good news that it's a gift. Everything's a gift from God. 
That's why we say thank you, because we couldn't earn it. It's not based on who we are, what we've done. Everything is a gift. We cannot deserve it. And so it humbles us and keeps us from becoming jerks. And we have really short memories, and so we always forget. No matter how long we've been a Christian, how long we've known Jesus, we naturally drift away from this. So if you're the sort of person who swims in a pool and you do laps, you always need that black line underneath you to keep you swimming in a straight line. If you stop looking at that black line, you start drifting into the lane next to you. I once went to a beach and I thought, I wonder how far out I can swim, but there was no black line to follow. And so without knowing it, I kept drifting to my right and I did a U-turn and ended up back on the sand. <laughs> See, we naturally drift. It's very hard to swim in a straight line. And the human heart is the same. Even if we know Jesus, even if the Spirit lives in us, uh, the gospel is saying, this is a gift. This is a gift. We do not earn it. Receive it with thanks. Don't be a jerk. Be humble and know that you're broken. Know we need Jesus to heal us. Our hearts naturally drift away from that message. And, and then we become religious according to today's definition. We make up rules. Uh, we, we try to keep people out. We try to maintain, preserve order on the inside. So the, we just need to keep hearing um, just the gospel. Just need to keep hearing the gospel. And, and you know, how, so how do we change other people? Uh, we're just somehow just ensure that in, when we study the Bible, when we go to church, in the songs, in the prayers, everything there is based on the, on the message that this is not about us. It's all on what God has done for us. I think this uh, next question kind of stemmed from the first question that we had. So uh, it sounds like being a jerk is not being judgmental, but yet mm. Jesus seems to be judging these people mm. by calling them hypocrites. I guess what I'm asking, what, wasn't Jesus a jerk too then? And what makes him Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the judgmentalism, so not all judgmentalism is the same. Uh, Jesus often says, you know, do not judge, lest you be judged. And also to the... One time there was a woman accused and Jesus said, well, come on, you who have not committed any sin, you throw the first stone. And everyone was like, okay, I, I'm not, I'm, I come from no position to cast judgment. And maybe that's what Jesus is saying. He also has another saying, you know, before you try to take the speck out of someone's eye, take the log out of your own eye first. And I think what Jesus is saying, we are so broken, we're so corrupted especially in these sins that really do matter according to God, like pride, self-righteousness, arrogance, we actually have no moral ground to stand on to judge other people. I think that's why Jesus says, do not judge, because by those same sins, you'll be judging. And actually, you don't know, but you actually are worse than the person you're judging. I think that's why Jesus says, do not judge. But Jesus himself is different, because he doesn't have the log in his eye. He sees things as they really are, and that's why he can pronounce judgment. But what's interesting in the Bible is... God is very gracious, he's very accommodating, and he describes his characters, I'm slow to anger. He actually doesn't want to judge. It's not in his character to want to judge. He wants to be slow to judge. And it seems to people who didn't know better, God is very accommodating. He's very gracious. And so usually in the Bible, the harsh words from God and the harsh words from Jesus are to his very own people, people who should have known better. People who have heard the message. People who have the Bible. So they should have known what this was all about. And I, I guess that's, again, Jesus cautioning us from judging in that, hey, clean your own house first. Look at your own heart first before you judge. I have one more question. Sam, sure. anybody you want to ask and clarifying or push back or anything? You want to? You want to? <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
Um, last question. Sure. So, so you mean to say pastors and, and other church leaders actually can fail sometimes? Oh, they can definitely, definitely, definitely fail. Um, oh, you know, you, you know, and this will launch me a whole topic, but they've done a lot of character studies on leaders. Leaders end up being leaders usually because, and, and, and I'm a leader, so okay, there's a log in my eye before I, I cast a stone. They have this destructive double character mix. Once, then one is they think more highly of themselves than they should. That's why they think, hey, I should lead. But they're also highly insecure people. And those two things thrown together make them very, very destructive people. And that's why today's message hopefully can cure leaders, especially from that, and that do not think more highly of you than you should. You are broken, maybe more broken, like the doctor with a double black eye. You're more broken than the person you're treating. Uh, And at the same time, uh, your confidence comes in Jesus because it's based on Jesus. So just as Steph and I can march into Dario's concert, you know, Hey, hey, because we know Dario, we can march confidently into God's presence because it's based on Jesus. So we, we can think realistically of ourselves and also put our confidence in Jesus and rather try to raise ourselves up and be insecure. And I think that's a cure for the double cure for, for leaders and especially Christian leaders. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.